Welcome to Scale School, my friends. I'm Dan Bolton, and my purpose here is simple. I wanna help you increase the scalability of your coaching or consulting business so as it gets bigger, life gets better. Here we will be talking everything from getting clients, keeping clients, teams, leadership, but most importantly, making scaling simple and fun again. Thanks so much for tuning in and I hope you get a ton out of today's episode. Let's kick off. I feel like we should have been recording for the past 10 minutes. Yeah, no, that's great. How does someone go from being a pastor to making over seven and a half million as an entrepreneur? By making a lot of mistakes along the way and fumbling his way through it. So like my background um, as a young person was my upbringing was really tumultuous and everyone has kind of different levels. And so what's interesting is the more I've done life, the more I've realized that two people can have completely different difficulty levels in life, but both face the same hardship, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Right. Meaning that uh, not everyone has the same circumstances, but it can impact them in the same emotional way. So I, I don't know if my life was necessarily any harder than people's, but externally it was pretty crazy. Like my, my brother, even to this day is the um, president of the biggest gang in our city at home. And so I've had siblings in and out of jail. And so where this ties into being a pastor in that transition was um, when I was 10, 11, 12, I was like heaving the drinking and and smoking weed with my older brothers and sisters who were drug dealers. And I find myself when I'm 12, uh, I fancy this girl next door, literally the girl next door, and she invites me to church. And so I end up in this church gathering when I'm 12 years old and my life takes this completely different trajectory. Mm. A few years later at 16, I dropped out of high school. Uh, I stepped into what's crazy is I stepped into being the youngest sex ed teacher in New Zealand. Right. So like, it's a, what a weird thing to have on your resume. I don't, I don't even know how I was qualified in that. I'd never had <laughs> sex. Right. I think that was maybe part of my expertise because I was like, guys, you, you can be cool like me and not have sex. But no, um, it was it was so broad. It was like life skills and all that kind of stuff. But I was 16 talking to people like two years younger than me. And so 16, 17, 18, I was like working in and around high schools and working with teenagers. And then when I was 18, I was a part of a church and they were looking for a youth pastor. I ended up stepping into that role at 18. And I basically was in there till I was 29. Mm. So I didn't have the typical path that a lot of people have where they try lots of stuff to find out what fits, what doesn't, what does my personality lend itself best towards. And so during those years of being youth pastor, it was amazing. Um, it was so impactful, so meaningful, mm. uh, but I was broke as hell. And uh, I, I was like a closet entrepreneur. So most of my reading and learning and development should have been towards spirituality and, and spiritual leadership and things like that. But if you were to take my Kindle, for example, 80% of all the books that I was reading was like on entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And my like caveat to that was, well, you know, there are principles here that I can take over here. But secretly, like I wanted to create something. I just didn't have the opportunity to do that. I was looking for side hustles and things like that. So in 2018, when my wife and I decided that it was kind of time to finish up there, and, and that was a hard decision because I thought we were going to be pastors forever. Literally, I, I never saw a path in the future that had me doing anything else than what we were doing. And even in business, right, there's hierarchies and churches, it's the same thing mm. where youth passes and you move your way up with age groups. And then you eventually oversee a campus or a church and you plant a church and things like that. And that was exactly the path we were on. So in 2018, it was like a huge fork in the road that we didn't ever think we were ever going to face. And I was really unprepared for it in a sense. So we uh, step out of that. And I'm like waiting for some kind of miracle job offer because I have no idea what I'm doing. I dropped out when I was 16. I had no secondary education, no qualifications that I could kind of point to and say like, well, I guess I'm good at sales. or I guess I'm going here. I'm like, I've been working with teenagers for almost a decade. Mm -hmm. And 
There's a lot of skill in that though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In hindsight, but not in that moment. In that moment, I was like, I don't know what I'm good at other than working with teenagers. And so what was really interesting about that time was uh, there were two people that were really blowing up in the internet space, Ty Lopez and Sam Ovens. (laughs) And um, for all of the crap that people at least have spoken about Ty, Sam's got a pretty good reputation, but like uh, both of those courses, uh, Sam's Consulting Accelerator, Ty Lopez Social Media Marketing Agency were like so pivotal for me. So that miracle job offer never came. And so on April 16th, I think it was 2018, I finished up being a youth pastor. And the next day, uh, I have no laptop, no car. And so I've got my wife's laptop and um, a friend gave us money to buy a car. Like we were broke. We had one week's worth of pay to come in, no money in the bank. And it was like time to kind of figure something out. So I'm sitting there with my wife's computer at a cafe in Tauranga, New Zealand, this little city, like 30 to 40,000, this peninsula that we lived on. And um, I'm trying to take all of these like ideas that I've been learning from the internet marketing space. And I'm like, all right, I think it's time to like figure this out. And what was really cool is that uh, I think everyone has a personal brand. Like we like to talk about it as if it's something you can intentionally grow. And I think you can be intentional about it, but everyone has a personal brand because it's just your reputation. Mm. And so when I finished up being a youth pastor, the coolest thing I didn't bank on was that there was a lot of people that were willing to give Dan Bolton a shot. That even though they only knew me as a youth pastor, and they didn't know me as the social media marketing guy, they were willing to transfer that trust from one domain to another. Mm. And so I stepped into the space and I was like, all right, guys, I posted on Facebook and I started reaching out to people. I'm like, I'm running a digital marketing agency. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, everything. <laughs> and so this, I'll do anything for you. So my first five clients, I'm coaching a real estate agent on how to get uh, leads on social media, coaching a personal trainer on how to take his business online. I'm building a construction business's website. I'm running Facebook ads for a vehicle financing place. And I am managing the social media for a grocery store. So there was like no niche and no clear offer. It was like, I need to figure this thing out. And obviously I had impending bills and things like that. And so that's uh, from a tactical perspective, exactly how I did that. From an emotional belief perspective, the biggest thing I remember uh, hearing Sam Oven say as I was going through his um, course, where he was, his whole brand for that course was taking civilians and turning them into entrepreneurs. And that was exactly where I was. I was like, maybe had read some books on entrepreneurship and had no experience, uh, obvious experience in marketing and sales. And he just said one thing. He said, you have to believe in your ability to figure it out. And I think if there's any belief that served me from that moment of scrounging together a couple of clients to pay the bills to making seven and a half million in a few years was at every juncture, at every fork in the roads from every iteration of offer and niche from business model going solopreneur to entrepreneur and having a team uh, was my ability to figure it out. Now, that didn't mean I knew what to do. That meant I was committed to figuring out what it was that I needed to do. And so I remember like hiring, um, sorry, signing a client for Facebook ads. I had no idea how to run Facebook ads. So all I did was stayed up till 5 a.m. in the morning going through all of these course modules on how to run Facebook ads. And then I remember clicking live and then going to sleep for like three hours and then waking up and there were leads. And I was like, oh my goodness, it's working, right? And there was this such an immediate gratification of like, there is a book out there, a mentor out there, a course out there, a free YouTube, an article, a blog, a podcast, where someone is sharing something that I don't know that I need to know in order to figure out how to go to the next level on entrepreneurship. And that's been a belief that has served me so well is it's not my belief in some level of talent or skill or 
IQ, I think I'm really average in all those things, but what I possess is the ability to know how much I don't know mm -hmm. and then push myself into mentorship and push myself into education. It's really ironic because I dropped out of high school, um, but I am so passionate about education, right? I'm so passionate about figuring out different ways to learn the different skills and beliefs. And so I'd say like from a practical perspective, that's literally how it happened mm. in terms of that transition from pasta to kind of getting started. But really over those few years, that was the biggest thing that helped me create the momentum I have was just maintaining that kind of student mentality of like realizing how much I didn't know. It's the emotional side of it more so than anything else, right? I feel mm -hmm. like that if you break down like marketing or you break down like any different aspects of business, it's not like rocket science whereby it's going to take you years to learn it like fundamentally you can like learn these things in a few months or a few years of like dedicated work but the biggest thing for me there the biggest takeaway is the emotional change mm -hmm. i feel like that when you were looking at sam ovens or when you were looking at like ty lopez that was an intentional change mm -hmm. but man you were doing it all your life when yeah. you were 12 years old with your brother and now drinking and smoking yeah. you made that handbrake turn and then at 16 when you took becoming the pastor like serious that was another handbrake turn. And then you made the last handbrake turn. And even, fast forward to where you, when you closed on your agency, it was the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. But that change whereby you recognize where you are and the pain of staying the same is worse than the pain of change. That's very difficult for most people to move and they'll become a victim and a victim mindset. And you come from a town, small town, I come from a small town as well. What, made, what gave you the belief so that you actually could change? Because even when you're 12 years old, that's more of like a hardwired... Uh, characteristics versus an intentional extrin ex extrinsic right. attribute. Yeah, it was uh, survival mentality. So when I was young, the the real pivotal moment for me, I remember so vividly, was I went to this church gathering. Uh, I I um, made a emotional decision. Um, and I say emotional because it's not like I'd thought through the rest of my life and going like, I'm going to follow Jesus yeah. now. Everything's going to be different. I was like, all I know is what I'm doing right now isn't working for me and it's not working for my family and I need to figure out how to create a change. And I remember the real moment of decision came where I had to integrate that decision into my life and figure out how to walk it out. Do it. Yeah. Do and, the thing. <laughs> and so uh, I remember a family member previous, like a few weeks previous to this kind of moment decision in the church gathering was they gave me the biggest bag of weed I'd ever seen for my 12th birthday. What? Even to this day, right? <laughs> and so I have this moment where I realized that my life, uh, I've just now decided to take a different path, but I have things that are going to be pulling me back to this this alternative lifestyle that is the most obvious for me. That was the Those were the only models that I had. I didn't have... Uh, people around me that were in healthy relationships, people that stayed married. I had single mothers, people get pregnant and then the guy ditches. I had people going in and out of jail and people getting beaten up and uh, people turning at our house, turning up at our house beaten up or people looking for money and, and things like that. And so I remember having to make that decision to give that bag of weed back. And that was like this huge turning point in my life. But why I share that is because I realized that my life was going to be so incredibly difficult if I chose to live the way that I wanted to live, this life that I felt like I was created to live that was not in line with what I'd been shown, and that that mentality, that survival, like I had to do it, um, and it was going to be difficult, but I, but it was the only path for me, if that makes sense. Like, and I knew that every part of that was going to be difficult. But one of the keys that really unlocked for me when I was older, when I was working with teenagers, was I read a book on resilience. Because it, it, uh, working with teenagers, is, especially in schools, is the same way as business where you're like looking for a niche, mm -hmm. right? And so you have people that go through like a traumatic incident. Like one of my uh, good friends, a guy called Sam Cawthorn, he is uh, one of like Australia's top motivational speakers. 
and he was in a car crash head on. Uh, he was going 110 kilometers. The other one person was going 105 or something like that. Head on collision. In that moment, he lost his right arm, permanently disabled his right leg. And then he became this motivational speaker with like with his angle, right? And he was like helping people overcome these failures and these these obstacles and things like that. When I was speaking to high schools, my angle was resilience. So I read this book. And in this book, there was one line that stood out to me that's kind of reverberated from, through my soul ever since. And it said, you can uh, f- discover and determine someone's level of resilience by how they answer this one question. Who is responsible for how well my life goes? And so if you think about that for most people, the answer is external, right? All right, people, we're just going to take one short little break for a little update about Podcast University. So if you enjoy podcasts like this and you want to start your own podcast, head down to the links down below to Podcast University. This is a learning platform that I've built to help people like you build, launch, and scale your own podcast. I wasted many years doing this, making it all up as as I go. So I put everything together in a very seamless and, and easy to follow course for you guys to follow and just learn exactly how to do it. So if you want to bypass a lot of the mess with your podcast, Check out the links down below to Podcast University and it will show you exactly how to launch and scale your own podcast. I mean, most of, uh, if you think about it generationally, right? If we if we talk to people older than us, there are people that are looking for politicians to come and save them. Like, 100%. Oh my gosh, if we could just 100%. get the right party in next time and we just rally in enough votes. No one's going to save you, man. Yeah. Literally no one's coming to fucking save you. Right? But, 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 but here's what's challenging is that like we can see that as as kind of our age. We just go like, that's silly, right? Politics. Yeah. But then people can do the same thing with spirituality, right? There is so, uh, if you look at every religion, right? No religion espouses uh, to a degree that, that God is now responsible for your life. But we love to think that he is. That she is right. That, that that there is like a spirituality out there that we we love as humans to delegate our power. Like one of the things that I see uh, so often in business is business partnerships that make no business sense, right? And it's just like two two guys, two girls, two people coming together, and they're like lonely. They they don't want to be in the trenches by themselves, and so they go like, let's just do this thing together. And it's because the idea of being responsible for everything is terrifying. Yeah. And so I realized that uh, throughout my life that I had to become responsible for my life. And I remember hearing a quote that uh, John Maxwell said, one of the great leadership gurus, he said, life is a series of choices and the choices you make, make you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just something that's been ingrained in who I am, that, that I'm responsible for my life for better or for worse, that there will be people who can help me, assist me, guide me, support me. But ultimately this comes down to me. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that message, that gospel of power, responsi- uh, personal responsibility, sorry, is so powerful because it's both confronting and it holds you to a level of account that's really, really high. Mm-hmm. And it's empowering because it also means you're not waiting on anyone else. But- you're, you're looking at it from a positive perspective as well, but it's also the negative. When mm-hmm. something negative happens, people will have external like blame, basically, right? And blame other people for what's happening to them mm-hmm. versus looking internally. And same when on the positive side, like you're saying there, if something happens that's uh, beneficial for your business oh it's someone else or it's a business partner but it all comes into personal accountability and that's the kind of the flip uh, how to flip the script and we were just chatting recently about uh the business partner element and i'd love to get your thoughts on this so uh, i heard from iman years ago that people don't need a business partner they need, they need better friends right because unless you have a tech startup we were just talking before about my, my background in engineering where you need a specific type of skill of someone who's a nerd who can sit there and code for 24 hours a day while you sell then it doesn't make sense Mm -hmm. unless that's there 
and you know a lot of uh, VC companies will not back people who are single founders and so on and so forth as a result. So I'd like to get your thoughts on that because you've been doing, you did the agency on your own, you're doing the coaching on your own, but you still bring in the mentors, right? Mm-hmm. You pay for the mentors and you work with people and you have a good network and you've paid for the networks. So what would be your, your top process on that? Should you go solo or should you go with someone? Yeah, I mean, it, it's so um, case by case. The way that I would think about it is you're looking for complementary skill sets, mm-hmm. right? So I've made the mistake before of paying mentors where they're not further ahead than me and they don't necessarily, I don't even perceive that they know something I don't and I pay them and then I'm in the program, the course, the coach, the coaching call, whatever it is. And I'm like, why am I here? Like, <laughs> like and, and what's funny is like, I'm actually self-aware enough to know that like I didn't grow up with my dad. And so I am often gravitated towards guys that, that I perceive to be more powerful or that uh, have some form of status or that I want approval from. And so I'm using the business to try and fulfill my personal desires, yeah. right? So rather than getting better friends, getting better uh, spiritual like leaders in my life or things like that, I'm trying to fill the hole by mentors. And when you're looking for a mentor, it's the same thing as when you're looking for a business partner is that, is there a complementary uh, nature of this relationship where you have something I don't? And so many business partnerships fail and don't go anywhere because you know when I've, I've been coaching uh, for a few years now, I've worked with 800 clients. I can't count the amount of times I've hopped on a Zoom call or been in person with someone and like two identical people show up and they're like both passionate about marketing and sales. And so like, they're like fighting over who gets to take the sales calls. And, and all I'm thinking is like, one of you is unnecessary, yeah, right? 100%. You're you're looking for complementary, not not uniformity, right? Mm. And I think it's the same with education, with, with, um, with mentorship is so much of the pressure around business can be solved when you answer yourself the question, what problem am I trying to fix right now? And many people don't know it or the business is a proxy for their soul, yeah. right? It's like something is wrong here or wrong here, but I'm going to go hire a new mentor or start a new business or get a new business partner because I feel off as opposed to doing the personal work that most others hustle to ignore. Yeah. We ignore it. And then we try and fix it through business. We wonder why like business is hard, not working, and we're not getting the results we want. It's because we haven't understood that we're actually using the business to solve personal issues that need to be separated. That's super interesting, man. You've had a lot of success with your agency in the beginning though, which is very unique, right? It was like probably your first business or your first attempt and you grew the shit out of it, went really well, you know, to some degree from like a numbers perspective, but you had the awareness to shut it down. And that's what I think is very interesting, right? Because there's kind of two schools of thought up with this. It's like grow it and then fix the problems, maybe hire, maybe bring down your margin, go down that route and maybe have this as here and you might go off into other passion projects or the IMAN approach whereby you shut down the agency and you go all in another, on another vehicle. And there's several examples of people doing this. Uh, Sam Ovens did that mm-hmm. with school, as school.com. He shut down his coaching business, whatever it was, took two years out and went all in there. What gave you the idea to say, okay, this is when you should close it and when should you make those judgments? Because all of life is struggling, right? Like there's choosing suffering, like there's suffering with being broke, there's suffering making 100K a month, there's suffering in everything. Yeah. So that's something that I kind of struggle with because like our business is difficult Yeah. and we have three full-time employees and it's tough. But I imagine being broke would also be tough, right? right. <laughs> does that make sense? It totally does. And I think um, one of the biggest things is is not trying to create a life of suffering but to create a life of meaningful suffering. I think there's nothing worse than suffering for a goal that you don't care for. And so I remember in uh, June of 2018, so I'm a couple months into business and 
I'm trying to figure out what I want to do with my life because now my bills are paid and my first 30 days, I got to like 10 to $12,000 a month, that mythical six month, (laughs) a six figure barrier, which was amazing. It was like, I remember I felt so rich because uh, two things happened. The first was I could now afford to like eat at cafes whenever I wanted and I felt rich. I was like, man, I can like get the flat white and the eggs Benedict, right? This is amazing. And the second thing was I replaced all my underwear with Calvin Klein's. And I was like, bro, I am balling. And so beyond there, like truly like the money pressure was off and the money goals weren't there. Like I wasn't just like, I want to just keep doing this and work with a random assortment of clients and just keep growing it. What do I want to do with my life? And I remember writing down, uh, I do not want to build a seven figure agency. I want to create content and I want to like coach and consult people. Mm. But I didn't really know how to do that. And I didn't really know the best next steps. And so I did what the people around me were telling me to do, which was to scale an agency. Bro, scaling. And so that's exactly what I did. And so what's ironic is that um, it became obvious to me when we had grown our agency from zero to 100K a month in, in nine months. Um, and this was after a relaunch. That was like version 2.0. The version 1.0 had me like 10 to $30,000 a month just doing everything for everyone. Uh, I burned that to the ground. I followed the typical guru path as early 2019 where everyone was tapping me on the shoulder like, hey, how can I make money online like you? And I had a lot of like teenagers that were following me, people from my past life and things like that. And so I started this program called Six Figure Side Hustle. Mm -hmm. And it was like $1,000. People would come in, learn how to run simple ads for local businesses and make on an extra one to $3,000 a month. That was great, but it was $1,000 and no recurring revenue. So a few months into that, I was like, this isn't the right, the quite the right fit, good direction, but not quite the right fit. And so I relaunched the agency again. Um, the thing that made the agency successful is there's this book called Built to Sell. Cool. And it's around uh, productizing a service, right? So mm-hmm. the story goes, there's this guy who wants to sell his business. It's graphic design. He does everything for everyone. And an advisor comes in and basically, long story short, they productize it down to like, they only do logos for a really specific type of person. When you productize it, everything gets easier. You now know who you're trying to market and sell to, uh, delivery operations, all of those becomes much, much simpler. And so we had a lot of success in our agency where we were growing organically just through referrals to 100K a month in nine months because we only worked with coaches who wanted more sales calls for high ticket clients through webinar funnels. Mm. So if you had a $7 ebook or you ran a five-day challenge or you did live webinars or you fill in a face group, we did none of that. So we productized our service. And then I made the mistake of, of going big, right? So- I got to 100K a month with one full-time employee, a VA, and a like funnel uh, agency. So we're at like 80% margins in an agency. And then I went and screwed everything up and I was like, right, we're going to get an office. I'm going to hire all these people. And uh, it was just like the nail in the coffin of like, this isn't what I want to do. So it wasn't that far after that that we got hacked. Oh, so, yeah. so literally someone uh, got into one of our ad managers' Facebook accounts, went into client ad accounts and spent tens of thousands of dollars and over 30 days between clients we had to uh refund their ad spend credit their accounts things like that it cost me a hundred thousand dollars cash the irony in this was they were running ads for fake calvin klein underwear and i was like you gotta have you gotta have a a sense of humor (laughs) with this i was like okay um but that but that was the coming back to that question of like what suffering is meaningful i was like i know business is hard like i'm not expecting this to be easy but at the end of me going through all of this, I'm still going to have a business I don't like. That I'm, I liked the people I was working with, but the way in which I was working with them, I was responsible for them. It was like us plus them plus Mark Zuckerberg in bed together, right? The whole thing just, it wasn't inspiring to me. One change there just 
completely fucks up your entire like business but not even from like um like the model itself but just from like a philosophy perspective like how you help your clients is so hinged on other people and it's exactly same in the podcast world to some degree you could youtube could change your algorithm like this and a lot of our clients would have to go do different stuff right so i think that dependency is very mm-hmm. interesting whereas if you compare that to like uh, a tech platform or whatever you're getting what you buy mm-hmm. basically and same with coaching, right? Yeah. Is that because it's 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 hinged on your ability and what you're teaching people as the expert, which we'll get into as well. You kind of run the show and you take away that dependency. Yeah. Which I think that's that's a beautiful part of business when, when it's not dependent on someone else for your advantage. Exactly. And I'll, I'll answer that question you asked of when did I know? I think my experience of being a human and working with lots of humans, because the, the gift that I had in working as a pastor is one of the primary roles I had was to speak. And so over nine years, I spoke five to 600 times, like in terms of full full talks, not just to like one person or three people, but between kind of 50 people to 5,000. Awesome. And so it gave me hours on stage, it gave me skills around communication, but what it gave me was an insight into people's lives. Because when you uh, stand on stage as somewhat of an expert, people then more willingly open up to you. And so I got the full experience of humanity of people coming up and 15 year olds sharing about how they wanted to take their own life and 50 year olds talking about how they're on their third marriage and you know burnt out and unhappy and 60 year olds that were worth 10 million dollars that had a garage full of stuff and an empty soul you know and so it gave me exposure to this this uh truth that i've experienced so much myself which is that we can if not uh if we don't take this seriously we can end up being on autopilot for a lot of our life Right, And so we just go from thing to thing to thing without stopping and going, I might be scaling a mountain. Am I scaling the right mountain? I might be building a house. Am I building the right house? You got to come back down off that fucking mountain before you go find the next. All right, guys, one short little update for Voix. I want to give a short little overview about my own company, my media company called Voix. So if you are a company or you are an enterprise looking to grow your brand and looking to grow your podcast, feel free to reach out to work with us at Voix. What we do is a fully fledged end-to-end management of your podcast. We take care of the strategy, the consulting. We take care of the growth, the management. We take care of all the editing, all the boring stuff so you can focus on creating good podcasts and create and growing your brand. If you want to grow your podcast and get to new users, if you want to grow your business, generate more revenue and all that good stuff, check out the links down below to Voix. You can follow through to schedule a call with our team or else you can fill out the application form to see if you qualify to work with us. Thank you. And that was exactly my experience with the agency is it was way more than just going, ah, I don't like working with clients because I don't want to run ads for them. I was going, I'm fundamentally doing something that that is good, that that uh, monetarily is amazing, that is successful in the eyes of others. That's not my mountain scale. That's not my thing to do. The problem though is that oftentimes you have to experience so much pain in it that it then causes you to reflect. But the life hack is, or you could just reflect. Like, or you could just slow down and silence the noise and start to really ask the big questions about what it is you want to do with your life. And whenever I've created space for that, it's always unlocked a next level of growth. Like right now, my my company is uh, not doing the most revenue it's ever done in history, but it's the most profitable and most fun it's ever been. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's exactly where I want it to be in this season, but it came here through processes of self-reflection, right? Like last year, I was telling you before, uh, my family and I, we did 11 countries, right? I was working about eight hours a week, right? And last year our company did $2 million. And I spent most of that time just walking around thinking, right? So it was like, it wasn't a productive year in a whole lot of ways, 
but it led me to the place of getting really clear on who I am and kind of why I think I'm here. And I think for a lot of people, they're not willing to sit down in the silence and to sit down and to quiet in the noise. We want to be overstimulated. It's like from kind of the morning uh, when we wake up to the evening, we're either on our phones or consuming content, whether it's educational or entertainment, we're, we're never fully slowing down. And, and so much can be achieved by simply turning your phone off air, on airplane mode, setting a timer for 20 minutes and just like breathing. Mm. And it sounds so simple that most people will never do it. But it's in that process of reflection. What was that? Are you familiar with Ross Harkness? No, no, I'm not. I made a really good point about this as well as the fact that if you don't want to do the thing or if you feel like you're procrastinating, you just sit there and you put on that timer mm-hmm. and you don't do anything else. Mm-hmm. So then therefore all the muse of life, like life's kind of like the joy of life will start filtering into your brain. Mm-hmm. And then you can start deciding then, is this even something that I wanted to do in the first place? Mm-hmm. Because if you're procrastinating on something or if you're the opposite, if you're too anxious, which I can be at times, to get shit done, get shit done, maybe it's not the best thing for you. And that's what a good way to, a good barometer to be like, all right, this is the direction I want to go. Or if not, I'm just going to sit here let life kind of take its toll and then over time then I can start doing my next step. Which well, kind of similar to that. We understand this in relationships, right? We understand that sometimes we have to ask a few questions before we pierce the veil. Yeah. Right? It's like, how are you? Good, bro. Really yeah. good. Busy. <laughs> and then you're like, you the conversation veers and you're like, but how are you really? Mm-hmm. And it's like, when you change your tonality, all of a sudden the person's like disarmed where they're like, well, actually... And most of us don't apply that same truth to ourselves. Is that like, I can, I found myself in seasons of life where I'm like, I'm not stressed, I'm not stressed, I'm not stressed. And then like everything's burning and crumbling around me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I was really stressed and I had no idea. Oftentimes we can have such low self-awareness. And so when it comes to business models, what are we doing with our life? It's not that we don't know. It's that we don't slow down enough to go inward to really uh start with what we do know. So you might not have the full plan. You yeah. might not like have the full awareness of like, this is what I came here to do. This is the best way to use my time. But the only way you get there is through slowing down, turning off the autopilot, right? And kind of course correcting. And I think that's been a huge theme for me over the last uh, five and a half years in business is uh, I'm working with really similar people uh, than when I kind of started narrowing down in kind of year two, but the business and I have evolved three or four times. And each evolution has come from a place of getting really clear on what I don't want my life to look like and what I do want my life to look like. And if people can ask themselves those questions, right? What do I actually love doing? What does my ideal day look like? What is my dream lifestyle? Even even simple things like in our world, people just make up completely random money goals. So they're at like 10K a month and you'll talk to someone, they're like, oh, I just want to get to like 50K a month in six months. Yeah. And we know that most people do not achieve their goals, let alone money goals. And I think it's not just because of lack of skill or lack of belief or that they're not you know, manifesting like well enough. It's because they don't even know why they want that. Like for some people, the whole path they're on is to build a seven-figure business so they can go to click funnels, like, like Funnel Hacking Live and yeah. go shake Russell Brunson's hand. 100%. And I'm telling you right now that at the lowest moments of your business and in the hardest moments of your life, that will not be a compelling enough vision to push you there. And so like I simply start with questions like, how much does your ideal life cost? Because if you can start creating goals in a trajectory around stuff that actually means something to you, will you know that when I get to $26,000 a month, once I've done the math, this ch- this is how my life changes. This is how my family's life changes. This is how I can fuel my vision for my, my life and the impact I want to have. All of a sudden, when you look at that $26,000 number, mm. you're actually energized. You feel a positive emotion aso- associated with it, as opposed to just this vague number that you borrowed off somewhere off the internet. 
And I think that's maturity as well, though. You know what I mean? It reminds me of, I bring everything back to fitness because I've been a bodybuilder for more years than I've been an entrepreneur, right? I was going to say, bro. And you get the <laughs> bicep routine. But you know, like in the beginning, you go to the gym to get girls and you realize that no girls give a shit anyway. And it's mainly, mainly guys that are looking at you, right? That's what you you learn. And then the goal becomes completely different. I think it's very similar in the business world because it's 10K a month. And then the next milestone is 25 and then it's 50 and the next milestone is 100 but no one stops to realize why they're doing it and i met someone previously and he was like you know i really want to just be able to say that i've built a six or seven figure business and i was like why do you want to say it yeah and i was like i wanted to do it because i wanted to help people around me um like i have a partner we've many dogs here we've been living here for the last couple of years and to be able to take that care of uh, financially and there's the other personal side of things then that i want to do as well so it's like one agent of the peace, right? But I feel like a lot of people are traipsing through life, not knowing what the goal is. And then it's being driven by other people. It's mm -hmm. the fake Rolexes, the Lambos and everything. So basically just your entire life has been dictated by someone else. And if you bring it back to like kind of a whole matrix paradigm, you know, you swap one matrix for another one, how I yeah. describe it. And I, I got that from another guy called Zarek. He was saying that basically, you know, you leave the nine to five to go build a company and then you're just playing the next matrix. Of course. Someone else's. Because it's, it's no work that's been done internally. And that's only happened to me, to be honest, in the last couple of years. I would have been the opposite, just been like, get fucking more done, build it, build it, build it, build it. And then I realized as time went on that these are important. It's like a metric, basically. It's like you know, hop on a scales. When you hop on a scales, that's a metric that tells you how your body is. But it's not the be all and end all because weight can fluctuate and can be different. It's exact same in finance or in, in, in a business. It's just one metric that doesn't solve all of your problems. Well, I think one of the most underrated uh, perspectives is that whole idea of like loving the journey, not just the destination. Mm. It sounds so trite. 100%. But it's the complete truth. 100%. Right? One of my kind of favorite business people slash philosophers is a guy called Naval Ravikant. He says, if you can't be happy with a coffee, you'll never be happy with a yacht. Right. And, but we have this belief that once I get there, then I will be happy and, and uh, I will feel a sense of meaning. But that's not how meaning is created. Like, there's one of my favorite books of all time is Man's Search for Meaning. Man, it's my favorite book of oh, all time. It's I gave so it, good. I gave it to him for, as a present uh, the other day. Man, I give it to everybody. It's if beautiful. I meet someone, I'll give them the fucking book. It's beautiful. It's it's like top five for me, uh, Psycho-Cybernetics, uh, The Almanac of Naval Ravikant. Sick. So, super I, good. Uh, I interviewed the guy that wrote The Almanac of Oh, uh, no way. And also, by the way, Naval has been here several times. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's I know. Body Factory <laughs> shit done. Get him on the pod, bro. <laughs> so, looking at Man's Search for Meaning, give me one of the biggest takeaways you took from the book. Yeah, so... One of the lowest moments of my life was probably 2020. Same. 2021, right? It was like, <laughs> it was rough. And uh, I have always had a weird relationship with where I grew up, right? I, I just, I never really felt like I fit in New Zealand culture. Same. Same. And, I, and I would say like people would describe my personality like New Zealanders, because we love doing this, is uh, that I'm really American, right? <laughs> which is, I'm which is like the biggest backhanded compliment like, yeah. that a New Zealand could say is that they, they're not going to be like, you're a loser. They'll be like, oh, you're so American. Right? So, so my, my partner is American and her family, like we're very, very close. And my brain is very much on that kind of like American kind of like vibe that kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that, like, not like I said an American dream of like the white pick offense stuff, but more of that philosophy. Hundred percent. I mean, her, like her father is a very accomplished entrepreneur. He was retired at 30. Um, 30, bear in mind, this was a long time ago. And we would speak much more at length about just things in life to do with business, money, economics, yeah. versus sitting at the pub watching the New Zealand Irish rugby game, right? Yeah, 100%. But that, that's just not me. That's very similar. Yeah. New Zealand and <laughs> Ireland, we're really similar places. And so um, 
New Zealand culture is an interesting one. I would say like if I've learned anything in, in literally traveling the world and like I was just telling you before, we're on, on a plane to Dubai and then Miami tonight. Like I'm all over the place. And one of the most important things to understand about humans is that uh, community and environment are the two biggest determiners of like your your happiness in so many ways, right? How you feel um, if you are in a prison cell versus a bedroom versus in a country that you don't love versus in a country that you do love versus being surrounded by people that share your values versus being people uh, surrounded by people who don't share your values affects so much of our well-being. And so when I was growing up in New Zealand, it was like a really strange experience because uh, especially the more internet unlocked access to different minds and books and things like that. And so it was really clear to me the moment that we could leave New Zealand, I wanted to leave New Zealand. And we tried to make it happen for a couple of years. We weren't quite sure and on the same page. And so now uh, as recording this, I'm married and got two kids. I got a four-year-old and a seven-year-old. And uh, we were trying to figure out where in the world we wanted to live. And it was taking a lot of time to get aligned. 2020, we come to Bali. And I, I get super sick on this trip, right? I'm like, but I still love it. And so we make the plan. We're going to move back to Bali in June. And I'm like so ready. I'm like, count, get an app, count down the days type vibe. <laughs> like I cannot wait. I feel I feel so out of place where I live. And then obviously, uh, you know, everything rolls through in 2020. Everything locks down. New Zealand was one of the weirdest situations on the planet mm -hmm. because we were good from a lockdown perspective. We just couldn't leave. Mm -hmm. If If we left, we were locked out of the country. It was this really bizarre situation. And so we were supposed to go, we couldn't. And then that just journeyed all the way into the middle of 2021. And I was just miserable. And I remember like, I've always really prided myself on being an optimistic person, being in control of my thoughts, you know, all of that. And I just remember being at a low moment, I'm staying in Auckland, New Zealand, and I'm kind of pacing the streets uh, on kind of an eat, pray, love journey of like, how does Dan get his sanity back in the midst of all this and not be like this powerful victim, a powerless victim. And I'm walking around, I'm listening to Man's Search for Meaning. And I remember there's this line that I've read before, but that when I heard it that day, it, it hit me and it said, everything can be stripped of a man except the last of man's freedoms to choose how he responds in any given situation. And for anyone who's not read that book, it's about a, uh, Viktor Frankl's experience in the concentration camps of Auschwitz. Mm -hmm. And here I was having a cry in Auckland, New Zealand that I couldn't live overseas where I wanted to live. Now, environment is still important. But in that moment, I realized that I needed to choose a different narrative to focus in on. And that's actually why I got this, this lightning bolt tattooed on me. So my last name is Bolton. My nickname was Bolts growing up. But I remember getting that tattooed on me as a reminder that like I'm powerful and can choose and have the freedom to respond how I want in any given situation. And so remember that was such a crucial, crucial moment for me because um, so many of us look to what's happened to us, what is happening to us, to determine what's going to happen to us. And our past just describes where we've been. It doesn't have to decide where we're going. Mm -hmm. But so many of us live locked in these mental prisons defined by what we're not getting, by what we're not experiencing. And we realize that actually the freedom is to be able to choose how you respond in any situation. Mm -hmm. There are broke, happy people, and there are rich, happy people, and there are broke, sad people, and there are rich, sad people. The variable uh, of money doesn't seem to be the determinant of whether people are happy or not. It's that people can choose to be happy in whatever they have. I've met generous poor people and generous rich people, and I've met greedy poor people and greedy rich people. And so the qualities of a good life can be attained at any point the moment that you realize that the goal, the true goal is not just out there somewhere, but it's actually in our, within our attainment, within our grasp right here and right now. Mm.
man, it's super fucking interesting because if someone like uh, if you're familiar with Mark Sisson, yeah, you, yeah, primal I, guy, yeah, he's great dude. We were, at, we were at a very long podcast, and he was like, "What's the point of waiting until like reserving your happiness for when you get to that target, right?" And bear in mind, he at 61, he built a 200 million dollar company. So up until then, fail, 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 minor successes here or there, and at 61 years old, but. That doesn't mean that he wasn't happy during those period. He was like a ultra runner, a triathlete. He was an Ironman. He had all these things. He had a great family. And that was for him the biggest instance was the fact that all the money will come and go and it's like fluid. But fundamentally, what he was mainly focused on was having a good quality of life. And now well into his 60s, but 66, 67 now, uh, incredibly high standard of living. He's gone to build his new company, which is like the footwear company. And it has no bearing on his general happiness because of the fact that mm -hmm. that's what he wants, right? He has good fulfillment life, him and his partner, very good relationship. I think it's just quite interesting, right? Because he's going again and again and he's chasing that entrepreneurial hunt. And for someone from the outside would be like, oh, you know, he's obviously just loves the game and he loves the game. But it doesn't take away from the fact that he's able to dictate the positive side of things and the negative side of things and interpret it in the right way. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting, man. I want to, shift gears slightly into you're on about the 100k a month and, and the profit side of things so we spoke about jk recently as well and and i've someone he's i've admired him quite a lot one thing i often find and one of the things i see is that when people are building these businesses whether it's an agency or even a coaching business as they're scaling they're really just eating into their margins a lot of the time and uh, i was saying to tom earlier was like i'd prefer to have 90 percent of 30k than 10 percent of 300k but i see people make 10 percent of 300k a lot mm. and they flash to 300k so, like, why do you think that kind of bloat happens? And you were at 100K with a very good margin, right? Yeah. How, how do you trim the fat? Because I'm something that I'm quite conscious of uh, as our company grows. And to be fair, it's growing, like, really quickly. Um, so I'm just way more conscious of getting to these higher numbers and then just basically ending up back to square one. Yeah. Well, I think the foundation for a lot of people is it's really innocent. I think there's so much conflicting advice in the business space and so many, so few good blueprints that I think very few people are sitting down and running the numbers going 10% off 300K sounds like it makes sense, right? Everyone thinks that just around the corner, it's going to get better. But if we just take this kind of uh, um, advice piece first, when you are listening to someone who's building for an exit, right? In a completely different industry. Yeah, like software. It makes complete sense to not take profit out of the business just to continue to reinvest. It makes almost no sense for a coaching business that will probably never exit, yeah. right? Like we, I think people would love to sit here and go like, yeah, but Homozy exited. It's like, do you know how much of a unicorn situation that is uh, that it's so not, um, you can't impersonate it, you can't replicate it for the average person, nor do most people actually want what an exit would give them. Yes, they want the cash, but the process that it's going to take to get there. Brutal. And so I was talking to someone the other day and he runs uh, kind of a $2 million a year coaching business and he just kept wanting to eat away his, his margins. And I said, like, we looked at his expenses and I was like, a lot of this just doesn't make sense. Like, why is this? And he's like, well, I read uh, this guy and you know who it is, uh, Alex Becker, yeah. right? And Alex Becker runs a SaaS company and he's like, you know, I read that like it's not good to take profits. And so I'm just like reinvesting. And I'm like, but for what? Like when, at what point are you planning on taking money out? So my point being, people often have the wrong advice they're going off. Even just simple things like if you're trying to make a million dollars a year and you're listening to someone who's trying to make a billion dollars a year, doesn't mean they're giving you bad advice. It means they're giving you different advice that should be adapted and filtered through and funneled through from their goals to yours. And the 
uh, stuff that's not relevant and isn't helpful to you is left by the wayside. And so one of the things that I think is really, really key is that everything filters down to a business model, right? How do we market? Like, what do we sell? How do we market? How do we sell? Who do we work with? What? How do we deliver? And so one of the things that's really common in, let's say, the coaching space is everyone craps on one-to-one coaching. So one-to-one coaching is a thing you do when you don't know any better, and then you become really smart and you sell courses. But I, at the start of this year, blew up one of my coaching programs and scaled to $95,000 a month in profit in three months just doing one-to-one coaching. Now, how I structured it was the secret. It's the, the model. I had two calls a month with each client. There was a Slack channel and there was modules. So everyone was in one Slack channel. Uh, each individual got two 30-minute calls a month and there was content and then there was one group call a week. So if you run the numbers, I was making 95000 uh, a month in profit for eight hours of calls a week. Mm. And that was it. And so when you look at that, the only other cost I had was a virtual assistant that was working about 10 hours a week. Most people wouldn't even consider that that's a model that they could go to because the blueprint and model they're using is just one in which they're following one person's course Mm -hmm. that taught them this one thing when they realize it's actually more of a buffet that you can choose things and change things up. You can have a coaching program and there's one-to-one coaching, but you can do the coaching yourself or you can hire a coach to do it, right? You can take the sales calls. You can have someone else take the sales calls. You can have no sales calls, right? This is where I think people don't understand that it's almost like a soundboard where you can like turn things on and off and up and down. It's a spectrum. It's not binaries. Mm. Even since the launch of Hormozzi's book on $100 million offers, the lines are so blurred between agencies and coaching programs. You've got agencies that have like a coaching arm and then you've got coaching programs that are doing done for you and SaaS and things like that. But it's, it's helpful to understand that everything exists on a spectrum. 100%. And so it's not to the degree uh, that you optimize for profit and I either have 90% profit on this model, or I have 10% profit on this model. It's what am I willing to live with and what uh, costs and trade-offs am I willing to um, sacrifice and tolerate to optimize for the amount of profit that I want. And so for me, for example, I know that I could double my income in the next 90 days if I would just manage a sales team. Mm -hmm. I've done that before. I had a team of 13 at my peak. We scaled uh, one coaching program from zero to 347,000 cash in a single month at 16 months. I had a team of 13. I had six salespeople. Uh, and it got to a point where one day I was on back to back to back to back Zoom calls and I ended up peeing in a bottle mid-Zoom call, right? So I experienced that life. And that's not too dissimilar from a lot of my other friends who are at sim figures, eight figures, multiple eight figures, that grueling grind. And I experienced that to understand that's not what I want to do, at least in this season of my life. And so I can then optimize my business around what I want and join the process and then figure out what monetary goals I have that are in alignment with that business model. Right now, I can't optimize for 10 million year in profit with what I'm willing to do because it's incompatible. But I am able to optimize for one to two million a year in profit with what I want to do. And I think this comes down to like people getting really clear on what they actually want to do every day. And then what are the limitations and the boundaries that they can set around those models to optimize for the most amount of profit? Mm-hmm. Second thing I say is uh, every business is in a season because every human is in a season. And so the biggest mistake I think most people make is they're trying to grow month over month over month uh, and year over year over year. But even in nature, there are seasons of consolidation, right? And I always love about the analogy of bamboo, right? Bamboo grows mostly under the surface for 95% of the time. Yeah. And then I think it grows something like six foot in weeks, yeah. right? It's like 10 years or some shit. Yeah, yeah. It's insane. And so we think that business uh, should just be um, win after win after win. And when we don't experience that, we feel really hard on ourselves rather than understanding that 
uh, businesses like life have summers and springs and autumns and winters. And unless we become self-aware enough to know what's happening in our life and what is and needs to happen in our business, like if you've gone through a period of growth, you might need to have a period of consolidation and maintenance, 100%. which means that you should be dialing in certain dials on the business, right? You might be increasing the amount of time that you're working to consolidate, decreasing profit because you're hiring people to kind of deal with the additional workload. But then it's figuring out kind of what's most important for that season, as opposed to having a season of consolidation and then trying to optimize for growth and having neither. Man, I was just thinking about this driving in because like that season's approach is like, it's like everything, right? Because I think the the negative side of that is people feel like if they're going backwards, they're going to the floor, they're going to zero, you know? And again, back to the maturity in business. And the reason why I say this is because we can get into the client acquisition versus retention approach. In Q2, I was driving in deliberately and I was thinking about this. I think we stayed at the same number per month for two of the months and we dropped by about 20% for the last month. And the reason why is because we hired hiring because we had grown a shit ton in Q1. So we got in a, t- a ton of new clients and then we had to fulfill them and also make sure that none of them leave and write a lot of shit reviews online, right? But that was very beneficial because then Q3 and Q4, we're just stacking on more um, revenue basically because we had the systems in place. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big thing whereby this guru space is like client acquisition, bringing in more people and that 30 sales calls is, is wild in, in, you know, in a week or whatever because it's about dealing with what you have and increasing the LTV, making sure people are happy versus continuously going more and more and more and more. And that's why like business is not overnight success, right? It's years we're looking at this stuff. One of my favorite um, lessons from this actually came from Sam Ovens where he went through such an incredible growth phase where he was the only guy doing all of this stuff and he was at 300,000 a month taking all the calls. And then uh, most people don't know this, but he partnered with Ty Lopez. And so Ty Lopez became his biggest affiliate. So Sam told me that there were days where Ty would send an email and they would make $500,000, right? Because he was just sending the email to millions of people to watch Sam's webinar. But what Sam did that was super smart was understood the season he was in, right? So he went from 5 million to 18 million in a single year. But what he did is he dedicated nine months to just focusing on product. So he created Consulting Accelerator, the version that I went through in 2017. But in 2016... Uh, as far as I understand, for every one hour of module that he created, he invested 30 hours into that one module to make sure that it was world-class. And to this day, that was the best course I've ever been through, right? And then he went on to do 25 million and 30 million. And now he's, you know, I, I mean, I have no hesitation betting that he'll be a billionaire, right? But it's understanding that that seasons, even for him when he was starting school, he spent a whole year and did 500 interviews to find one co-founder. But most people aren't willing to sit through 30 days of no growth. It's patience, right? Yeah. Time and patience. And so you might be able to get to your goal of $100,000 a month if you were, number one, able to make it mean something to you. Number two, adjust the timeline. And number three, do the right thing in the right sequence in the right season. But most people want to do all the things all the time and get the clients and serve the clients and get the clients and serve the clients. And they wonder why it churns really bad. They can't retain people. Their profit margins are going down. And it's because they're not slowing down getting off autopilot and actually reflecting on what's most important right now. Do you know Matt Kelly? Any chance from no. Space Goods. Thank you for someone to check out. Very interesting dude. I had him on the Oh, show. he's the mushroom drink. Mushroom drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, you know his story? No. Super interesting. So he's obviously just like this fucking 
diehard entrepreneur kind of guy, just always like wheeler dealer since he was young. He grew a neon light company, like a dropshipping company in his early 20s. It got so big that Love Island were taking on like his orders and they were putting them all around like Love Island and all these reality TV shows. And basically the business just grew, 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 grew. They tried to take the manufacturing to the UK and because of COVID and supply chain, it all just imploded. And basically he had debt threats on the door because people invested thousands up front and then he wasn't able to fulfill it. So he went through a very difficult period like mentally. And after the business, he, he had learned all these skills. He made a shit ton of money, then obviously lost it all. He sits down in his kitchen, blank piece of paper and a pen. And to your point about the model, the revenue, the efficiency, like all these margins, he had a blank piece of paper. And he was like, right, what is the business that I want to fulfill? I'm interested in sleep. I'm interested in these supplements. I'm interested in like recovery. And he started just to map out that kind of process over time. And he spent about a year building the product. And that, you know, e-commerce is so difficult to get like the reviews and the testing, you know, all those kind of like small changes. And after a year, he eventually launched Space Goods. And then now it's at around quarter of a million a month profit, profit. Uh, they're going to do Series A, I'm pretty sure. They've got into the biggest like health brands in the UK, like Holland and Barrett, if you're familiar with those. They're getting into like uh, Tesco and shit like this. Because he sat there at a piece of paper, figured out all these small metrics, put the time into the fucking product. And he was here and he recorded a podcast with Ibrahim Turner, good guy you should meet. And Ibrahim uh, was like, why does it work? And he goes, just like, focus on the product. That was it. Yeah. Nothing else. Nothing with the marketing and like he's, you know, a guru with fucking ads and everything. Nothing to do with that. Just a product. And this is one of the interesting things is that like one of my mentors, a guy called Alex Schaff, and uh, he had two companies that were on Inc. 500. And pre uh, real estate crash was you know scaling these companies, and then he actually scaled one of them uh, during the crash. So he, I, I'm let me get the facts right. He helped agents in the foreclosure crisis basically deal with these different deals around foreclosures, and he became an education uh, kind of coaching business that was like certifying people to be able to be these certain agents, and they were doing tens of millions of dollars. He's um, created this framework that I think is really key. He says, every business on the planet has five core functions, lead gen, lead nurture, conversion, delivery, retention, resell, and upsell, right? So every business, the garbage man, the laundry mat, the coaching business, the ads agency, the e-commerce brand, five, five core functions. The key for him, and, and really this is where I've learned this, is um, you need to figure out what area is the bottleneck of your business. If you think about it like a pipeline, from, from one end to the other, where are the holes? Mm. And what most people do is they go to where their interests are, right? Or where the most urgency is. So if you talk to anyone in the online space, the number one thing you're gonna hear from them in terms of their biggest bottleneck, what do you think it is? Leads. More leads, bro. Everyone needs more leads. But the problem is they don't think about it holistically. So their issue might actually be lead nurture. So, so we, we talked earlier about making seven and a half million. So I think I've just crossed 8 million with 8,000 people in my audience. And so there have been levels in my business where I've realized I don't need more leads. I just need to do a better job with the leads that I have. And when I don't need to run ads, all of a sudden I get a whole lot of profit back. And then when I focus on lead nurture, I make more money. And so when you think about it holistically and you don't just think about your business as one entity and going like the business is broken, I need to fix it. You go, what part of my business is broken and where do I need to pour my energy in for this quarter or this month or this season? And when you put in a season, a quarter, half a year, a year into product, right? Or into lead nurture or into an acquisition strategy, all of a sudden you start to get exponential gains. 
as opposed to most people wake up and go, I just need to go generate more leads today when their product is the problem or their retention is the problem or their conversion is the problem. And this is where I think it's like in the beginning at least, I don't run my business by the numbers too much anymore. I don't look at KPI trackers. I literally, everything is kind of intuitive and I'm like, okay, what do I uh, want to do more of this month? Do I want to take on more clients? Do I not? But early days, being able to just look at everything and go, car leads, uh, you know, conversion to call, call booked, call showed. Um, that's what made our agency so good is we we were just so good with the numbers from ad to landing page to, you know, our registration to our video application, all of those pieces. When you can look at your business through that lens and you start to have an objective view, not a subjective emotional view of like everything feels like it's on fire or I just want to go talk about leads again, you can actually set yourself a foundation for consistent growth. Mm. Ironically, though, the consistent growth is not just focusing on leads or marketing, which is where most people want to do it. It's actually on looking at the business as a whole and saying, where is the hole in the bucket? Where's the hole in the pipe that I need to fix? And when you think about it like that, it's so empowering going back to that, that who's responsible for how well my life goes. It's like, you're the CEO, you're responsible for how well your business goes. You're responsible for knowing what it needs right now. Thinking about it like another entity. What does my business need right now? Like I'm married, right? So I've been married for 11 years, been together with my wife for 14 the key to relationship is understanding what your partner needs right now, right? It's it's having the awareness of like um, the season we're in, what they're going through, what do they need? Do they need like my wife's uh, a stay-at-home mom? So it's like, where do I need a supporter this week with the kids? Uh, and so yesterday I took my kids to a water park and we were all going to go together. And then I was like, oh, you can join me in an hour. And then we got there and we called her and we're like, actually, it's a boy's day. You go do you, Right. That's a, a simple example of what it takes to, when you look at your business and you want to grow it consistently, you need to think about it as if it's an entity around what does it need most right now, mm -hmm. right? And so there are businesses that need more profit right now. And so you might need to fire some people to pull back on ad spend, to grow less aggressively, right? To fire the 27, uh, you know, um, setters and closes you have, or to let go of all of the subscriptions you don't need, or to stop investing so much money into coaches that aren't helping you, whatever it is you need to think about your business objectively to go, what does it need most right now? Because that business is supposed to be your vehicle to freedom. Yeah. But if you don't treat your business right, it won't treat you right. Talk to me about client retention. I think it's very interesting about how you kind of measure client success and how you think about that. Because of course, you mentioned about more leads and people are chasing that more leads kind of bucket. Sometimes I kind of feel sort of two main important parts of my business are client acquisition and client retention. But our LTV is incredibly high because we do like year-long contracts and whatnot. So I kind of feel like that that's kind of taken care of. However, we want to make sure that client success is really good. Client success satisfaction is really good. But I always kind of think about like how you can like make that better. Like mm -hmm. how do you actually make that better versus texting them what's up and what can I do? So how do you think about that? Because especially in a coaching business where you're only running at a few hours a week, it's, uh, it's difficult to kind of make that more tangible. Yeah, so... We had really good retention in our agency, uh, but it was by chance, meaning like we were good at what we did, but we didn't really know what caused clients to say, like some clients would be having amazing results and then they like met a person in an event. They're like, oh, they just taught me about this new strategy. So we're just going to yeah. go off with them. And I'm like, but we're making you money. They're like, yeah. see ya. You know, <laughs> didn't know what was going on there. There would be clients that were struggling for a long time, but because we had a good relationship, they just see through the winter until we get into spring and summer. And so when I was stepped into coaching, I really didn't know how to retain people, especially because most of our programs had deadlines. They had timelines. We were selling 90 days, 16 weeks, six months. And um, oftentimes, a lot of the coaching space is uh, all of the value is delivered day one. You pay for it and then it's like, here's the course. Yeah. 
right? And then some people try and do like a, do you want to pay $49 a week or whatever to retain access to the course? But the problem is uh, most of the value goes down after that, right? It's like Netflix, right? Netflix, when you join, it has all of the uh, content you could ever watch in a lifetime or, or you couldn't watch in a lifetime, right? But they're continually having to win over your business by releasing new things all the time. And so this big lesson kind of came to me in 2021, we did $2 million and I was working a ton and I had a team of 13 um, and we had good profit margins, but it was like really tough. And the focus then was just getting clients. I mean, that was the year Hormozy dropped the purple Bible and we were all out there just like how to make off is so good. And we, we had a string uh, of... I think 60 days where we enrolled a client a day at $10,000 each, right? Oh. So like we were like, we were we just implemented that book and it just went hard. But the problem was the back door was as big as the front door. And it wasn't because the product was bad. It was because we literally didn't have a business model that retained people. They would get the result or some of them wouldn't get the result. And then it was like, okay, let's just go get more people. The key happened in start of 2022 when I felt really burned out on the business model and just life in general. I mean, I didn't really talk about it, but when I was a pastor, my last few months, I I, I was working so hard, and and it's interesting, right? Because because churches get so many different impressions. Like you know, if you're in Australia, the biggest church in Australia is Hillsong, and that's got so much bad press. And then there are churches in America where like everyone's rich and wearing like Gucci and Louis Vuitton, and so everyone's perception is different. But for most people, they wouldn't perceive that being a pastor is really hard. And in some churches, it's not. But we're a really fast growing church that was always under resourced, which meant like at the end of my time. Uh, there, I was overseeing 700 people, but had no full-time staff. And it was just all through volunteers. In my last few years there, and especially in the last few months, I was working so hard, I thought I was going to die. And then I couldn't afford a holiday, so I just kept working. So start of 2022, I'm like burnt out of my mind. And I don't know what the problem is. I don't know if I just need to work less or I need to change the business. And so I decide to do what no business owner ever does, which is I turned off marketing and sales altogether. I said, we're taking on no new clients. And we're just going to work with the clients we have and I'll just see how we go. And what's crazy is in, we did that for seven or eight months. So I uh, let go of salespeople, turned off funnels, stopped posting content, turned off ads, no lead gen. Like there was no like secret lead funnel, nothing. So in 2021, we did 2 million with a team of 13. In 2022, I did 2 million again with a team of four and we didn't get clients for three quarters of the year. And so the key became going from the how do I make offers so good, people feel stupid saying no, to how do I make an offer so good, people would feel stupid to leave. And, and it really came down to this book that Layla Hormozy gave me in 2021. And it's called The Customer Success Professionals Handbook. Mm. And um, if you want to study retention, look at SaaS businesses, right? They are masters at this, right? All of us in the coaching space, bro, we're, we're figuring it out. But SaaS <laughs> oh, businesses boys. who work off LTV, especially when you're dealing with $49 a month things and $200 a month things, it's a different ball game. And so I remember reading that and there were just two distinct categories that I think people need to think about when it comes to retention. The first is how I would describe it as results. And the second is relationship. So I, I mentioned before about how you can get someone results and they they might stick around or they might not. So I'll never forget like taking someone from 5,000 a month to 40,000 a month. He records a testimonial, he's super happy. And then literally that that thing I shared before about you meet an event, that was a real thing. This guy, we'll call him G. He calls me one day, he's like, hey bro, like I'm out. And he had like 10 weeks left of his commitment. And he's like, yeah, I just met this guy and he told me about this new thing. And so like, thanks for your help, I'm out. And I was like, bro, we've just helped this guy print money. He paid us five grand and we added $35,000 a month to his business per month. And then I've had other people who have journeyed with us for years and have gone up and down and around with their business in different seasons of life. Um, 
But that is not always one or the other. What I've realized is you've got to do both. So how do you get people really good results? And then how do you give people an amazing experience? So on the results side, what's really important is in the health and weight loss space, uh, health coaches know that you cannot just celebrate the number moving on the scale because sometimes the number doesn't move. And so if you hit a plateau, you have to teach people to celebrate non-scale victories, like as in weight scale, right? So you might not have lost weight in the last month, but how has your experience been in social situations when it comes to food? How's your anxiety been? How's your binge eating been, right? Were you able to lift more in the gym? And so one of the mistakes people make when they uh, work with people in client-based businesses is they make the outcome um, so high level that you might not be experiencing growth or or um, results for months because it's like, we're going to get you to 100K, right? So if you've got a coaching program and someone's coming in at 20K and you want to get them to 100K, that's really binary. Yeah. And so you can have an outcome like that, but then you need to help people understand the holistic nature of this process so, sure. so that people can experience those non-scale victories when the number isn't moving on that. How was your work hours this week? How's your stress levels? How's your client retention? All of those pieces. The second piece is that the relationship. So firstly, people need to feel like if they weren't here, they'd be missed, mm-hmm. right? We want to feel like we matter being in the room, whether it's a community, whether it's a client relationship. And so really thinking about firstly, strategically stuff like onboarding, yeah. right? Like you need to choreograph that thing. If the moment someone, uh, you know, credit card hits your business, like that should not be the peak of the relationship. Right. But for most people, it is. It's like the founder, we're like, yay. And then we're like, oh, we've actually got to deliver on this. Yeah, now. we've got to do the work. Right. So, choreographing onboarding is so key. Right. Everything from automated emails to touch points to, and I remember getting an insight into Gym Launch, Alex and Layla's business. And I got to see that firsthand. And it was just a masterclass in terms of like choreographed, like this happens, then this person reaches out. Even little things like, they would have the salesperson record copious notes to give to the onboarding person. So when the onboarding person is meeting gym owner A and it goes, hey, Jim, uh, so excited to have you a part of the program. I'm really excited to help you get to you know $50,000 a month so you can take your wife to Florida on vacation. That sounds like a really meaningful goal. And I know working towards retiring your mom and dad is really important. And so I'm super excited to support you in that. What's the gym owner thinking? Oh, wow. Mm, right? They, they know their stuff. Yeah, exactly. And so choreographing that is so key. And then thinking about touch points throughout it. So like one of the worst things to happen to businesses is the quietest clients get the least amount of attention, Mm. right? So we go to the fires when we know that they're there, but we put everyone else on autopilot. The problem is that's not how retention works. It's not like, you guys all good? Great, we'll see you in six months, right? So you gotta have like choreographed touch points, which can both be digital um, and automated, or it can be... um, Manual, right? Someone's actually reaching out. But having those things, I think, are really, really key. And the last thing I'd say is this is more for education businesses, but that Netflix business model of a pipeline is really, really important. So at any given stage, you have clients who are struggling with questions or challenges, and your current setup isn't serving them, right? Meaning you might not have the module, the coaching, or maybe it hasn't clicked for them yet. And so if they can see in the pipeline of the next six to eight weeks what's coming that I can look forward to that's going to help me in some way, then it's going to really increase their level of retention. And so Gym Launch, Alex and Layla's business, they knew this, is that they would always be surveying people on a mass level and then also on a personal level to figure out what they were dealing with. And then the majority of the challenges and problems would show up in the next six to eight week pipeline. So if Gym Owner A isn't getting results and people are leaving through the back door or whatever, but they see that six weeks from now we're doing a training or there's a release or there's an event or something like that, they have something to look forward to. And it's the same thing with Netflix, right? Problem, solution, continuum. Solve one problem and then one another solution comes in next. 100%. And then, and the last thing I'll say on this is um, you need to create a longer runway than the commitment. So, 
this is what I learned when we were selling the 16 week, 90 day stuff, things like yeah. that, is you're trying to pack the whole transformation into that time frame. But then when it comes to the end of 16 weeks, it's like, it wouldn't make sense for them to continue. And so it's almost like you want to create a three-year vision with, let's say, a one-year commitment. The, and numbers aside, you want to have a bigger vision than there is a commitment. Meaning, when you come up to the end of that, renewal or upselling or downselling is about the continuation of the journey that we have not yet accomplished. It's looking at how far we have come and it's looking and, and, and getting excited about the vision of what is yet to come and how we can continue to support you in that. And so we have people with us and a lot of what we do is help people get to 100K a month in revenue and then 100K a month in profit. I mean, that's not a one-year journey for most people, yeah. which is why we have multi-year retention. And so that's what really unlocked for me in 2022 when we stopped taking on clients, but we kept clients uh, and our revenue stayed the same was because we really started to see how to keep clients long-term. And it was a mix of like, you know, results, non-scale victories, getting clear on milestones, making sure that people have a bigger vision than just the thing they're currently working on. And then really dialing in the experience side. What can we automate? What can we delegate? What can we systemize and optimize so that our uh, experience side is not haphazard but we are always working on making people's experience really smooth uh, and, and even like surprise and delight stuff. Yeah. Like like one of my mentors just released a book a few weeks ago and I bought a hundred copies of the book and gave them to all of our clients. And it's really interesting how something so cheap is so meaningful. Every time someone gets a book, they post an Instagram story, right? And it's like, there was a $30 book, but people love like physical things. And so if you can give people a hat, merch, like whatever it is, Going above and beyond just like, oh, we're just here to help you build your podcast or help you make money. But actually making them feel like they're a part of something, I think it's really powerful. That's the holistic view though, isn't it? It's a part of the broader mission. And it's very interesting because uh, if you're familiar with Sean Hanif, he was like the, um, he's did a lot of work with Iman, Chris Williamson, James Smith. He builds a lot of the businesses on the back end of creators. And they make them a shit ton of money. Like you've probably seen Chris Williamson's recent drink, Neutronic. Neutronic? Neutronic. He built that in the back end and that makes a shit ton of business but what you don't see is what shan does to keep these guys very engaged is that he does weekly check-ins with them of successes um lessons learned um challenges and opportunities every week and then he does a monthly deep dive with them and he builds out that longer term vision and they've been working together for years so iman's um glasses gaji um he built those years ago and now they're going to do another drink in the future. That three or four year uh, relationship is not based on a retainer, you pay me every single mm -hmm. month. It's based on a broader, broader mission. And I actually learned this from one of our bigger clients, which is probably doing around five to 10 million a year. They met us recently being like, all right, we want to try integrate. We want to try to look at what our goals are for 2024 and maybe even 2025. Could we build more podcasts that are like different part of the business? And that's the way I kind of think about this stuff is the fact that like, how does it all piece together in a grand scheme versus just growing the business and just growing the podcast in my example. You mentioned uh, Leila and Alex quite a few times. How much of an um, influence have they been on you? Uh, yeah, huge. So yeah. Uh, I discovered Alex in 2018, 2019, when he had a few thousand followers on Instagram and it was uh, him doing really terrible infographics about how to get more people to show up to a gym <laughs> and stuff like that. And I just became a really positive person in his DMs, like because I found his stuff really fascinating. And it was almost all to do with gyms. Like his first podcast, I think, was called Gym Launch Secrets, which was also the name of his first, first book that most people don't know exists. Interesting. And uh, 
And so we just started going back and forth uh, for a couple of years. And we actually got to work together for a couple of months in 2021, which was really amazing. And so I got to work with him and Layla and it was an incredible experience. And they're uh, some of the few people in the industry, I would say that um, the more you get to know them, the more you like them, which is not often the case with a lot of people uh, where it's like all sizzle, no substance, yeah. right? They're just amazing, uh, really, really good humans. And one of the things that's been so cool for me with, let's say, Alex is I mentioned you about my dad issues earlier, right? It's like I, I have had a hard time um, holding myself back from throwing myself into mentorship relationships because there's that, there's that father-shaped hole in my heart, I guess I could say. And I think Alex really occupied that for a long time. And so, you know, when I was like peak unhappy in my business, I thought I was doing exactly what I should be doing based on the Alex and Layla playbook. And maybe that was the case. But the point being is that I was really made aware that I wasn't built like they were, mm. that I had different goals. And so I admire them so deeply for what they're trying to build. And I think through that awareness of who I am, I'm realizing I'm not trying to build anything like that. And so, so it's really allowed me to look at them, to look at what they're doing, to listen to what they're saying with so much more of a filter, but in a good sense of going like, that's amazing. This is how I think that would look for me 100%. or that's amazing. That's not for me at all. And it's the inspiration element, right? Is that you take all of their lessons that they've learned and you apply it to your business. Case. So like the new book, for instance, like there's a shit ton there that applies to your coaching business right now, but it's not your lifestyle, for instance, right? And this is where people get tripped up on because I feel like Alex over the course of the last 10 years would have been successful no matter what he did. If he stayed in his nine to five when he was working for those big companies, he would have also become CEO of those companies one day because he's geared towards that way. It's kind of like when some people say that they can sleep on four or six hours a day there's some people that can do that and do exceptionally well because they're going to do well in it anyway yeah it's it, it, the vehicle is largely um, irrelevant and a good example of this is some like uh, sports stars they were athletes then they become managers of those companies and they also crush it and then they become like they might buy up companies or buy up um sports teams as time goes on but they're going to be exceptional players regardless and that's who i feel kind of alex is, is that regardless of what he does he was going to be exceptional so apply those principles in your use case yeah. in your business. And I'll tell you I'll tell you the most impactful lesson I got from Alex. So Alex and I have exchanged countless messages, like thousands over over the last few years. We've been able to have calls together and he's literally coached me in different aspects of my business. The best lesson I ever learned from him was about 18 months ago when I messaged him and and we we have a great relationship. So he doesn't we don't message each other, I don't message him and he just leaves it on scene. And I messaged him and I said, hey, dude, uh, I've really got some challenges in my business trying to figure out where to go from here. Can I pay you $10,000 for 20 minutes of your time? And he sees the message and doesn't respond. And then a few days later, we're chatting about something else. And that for me was such a great lesson and focus. It was almost like I, it was almost like I got the $10,000 lesson without having to pay $10,000. I was like, here's a guy that's turning down $10,000 for what will probably be a 15-minute easy conversation for him, like a couple of yes or no's. But he is so committed to what he's building that it was just so much sideways energy, he never even considered it for a second. And I found that really admirable and my, ex my respect grew for him. I didn't feel hurt or... Mm. Um, I, I felt I felt so much admiration. I was like, man, I want that ability to be so clear on my mission in life that I'm willing to turn down amazing opportunities for the best opportunity, which is to build what I was put on earth here to build. That's so interesting, man. Because again, as you grow and as you become bigger, these opportunities come more and more your way, right? It's not like they go away. It's just that shiny penny syndrome is just moving away from that target. Mm -hmm. 
before we finish up, I want to ask you, so looking back at your life from the pastor to the early days, even to Nick now, what type of life do you want your children to lead? I was uh, with my kids a couple of hours before this because I'm going away tonight. So I want to spend some time with them this morning and this afternoon. And I was with my four-year-old and um, I'm still figuring out the parenting thing. I'm like, you know, you know, it's like, you don't know, you don't know what's going to be most impactful if you're talking to them all the time about values or whether you're just living it out. It's kind of both. And I just looked at my four-year-old and I said, you were so kind and loving and brave. And I think today you're just going to, you're just going to help so many people and everyone's just going to love being around you. And I was just like hyping him up and I was like, are you kind? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, are you loving? And we just went through that. And when I think about the people that I want them to be, firstly, I, I am so, I'm a, such an advocate for autonomy and freedom. They're, like they're in a very alternative school here. And so when I think about the life I want them to lead, I mean, if they want to go the traditional path, I will love them and support them. But I hope they know that there are no bounds and that so much of the the outlines of what life is supposed to look like is all made up and that anything is yeah. possible. But more than anything else, I, I want them to become good humans. Right, I, I I couldn't care less how much money they make, what path they choose. I want them to be great human beings that that care for people, that love for other people. I I, I think for me, having spent my twenties basically giving them away to teenagers, mm. I hope that I can pass on to them that life is so much more about that what we can get and gain. It's about what we can give, mm. and so I want the the goodness of who they are to be directed in the uh, direction of other people, so that they know that that us as the Boltons are not here for our own sake. It's not just YOLO, let's live the best life we can. We're here to make the lives of other people better. And so one of the things that I bring them into often is um, the way that we contribute money to other people. And so um, they have no grid for money. And especially because we live in multiple currencies, we were in New Zealand dollars, I now earn in US dollars, but we live in Indonesian rupiah. Numbers mean nothing. Like my son's math is terrible. It's like, how much do you think this costs? He's like 500. I'm like, dude, this is a freaking house. How much do you think it's costs? <laughs> and so one of the things that I always bring them in on is like, hey, uh, there's this person that's facing this and I, uh, they really need some financial help. I, I think we should give them this, but that means we might not be able to do this. What do you think? And uh, it's just so beautiful being able to see them uh, obviously be generous with someone else's money. They're like, yeah, yeah, you should give it away. And I'm like, bro, easy for you to say. <laughs> yeah. um, but the reality is, is that like, I want to show them as best as I can. I want to model to them what it means to be a good human. And I, I don't espouse to be this kind of put together dude who's got it all sorted out. But, but I know for sure for me, um, I feel most alive when I'm realizing that this this life that I get to live is not just about making Dan Bolton's story great. Even the fact of legacy of being able to pass on to my children, I want them to be thinking about that for their children and and their friends and their family. And how how can they not just enrich their own lives but enrich the lives of others? And so I think like this whole idea of of um, what life is really about. I think is so much about how much we can contribute to other people and how we can use our unique gifts and talents uh, to serve humanity in a really, really powerful way. It's all about serving, right? From a business perspective, from a life perspective. Well, and this is what I've learned is the more <laughs> I want to help people, the more money I make. 100%. So if you're like a really greedy capitalist, like just figure out how to help a lot of people and you'll make a lot of money. 100%. <laughs> because if you're even trying to restrict your time and do as little as possible, if you can serve as much, you're still going to be able to help as many people have that bigger impact. I think when you swap from trying to make money to the impact is the biggest lever. Yeah. And it's not either rock. Like I, I was, I was sitting down with a spiritual mentor the other day and I was like, um, I'll share this story. Cause I think it's powerful. Um, when I finished at church, we were completely broke. Right. And I was like desperate for holiday. And 
a few weeks ago, I had a good friend finish up in a similar position. And uh, we had a house here in Bali that would rent until the end of the year, but we, we had left it empty because we just bought a new house. And so there was literally just an empty villa. So I was like, hey, dude, you should, you should um, check this house out and, and use it. It's, it's here. And he replied back and he's like, oh, like that sounds amazing, but like we can't afford it. And so I'm, I'm, I call him and he's kind of talking me through all the challenges. And, and, and it was basically like talking to myself five years ago. Mm. And I remember reading a journal recently uh, that I wrote around that time where I was like literally praying for a miracle that we would get a holiday of some kind. So I'm on the phone to this guy and I'm texting my wife at the same time. And I'm like, I really want to give them money. And she's like, cool, right? Didn't ask how much and I didn't tell her. And on the call, I won't say how much, but it was, it was a lot of money, multiple five figures. And when I said that to him, um, he just burst into tears. And it's just like a grown man to another grown man. He's just sobbing for a few minutes. And uh, it's so cool to have been able to do something like that, right? And so I sit down two days after that with my spiritual mentor and I say, dude, we have to get really rich. And he's like, I was just thinking the same thing. I, was like, I love this. <laughs> I was like, we have to get rich because the wrong people have all the money. I was like, I want to be able to do unbelievable things for people, but most of it costs. 100%. And it's not that we can't, it's not that if you have low resources, you can't help people. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is when you have more resources, you can help people in more ways. And so it is not that you have to choose the um, path of purpose or the path of profit. It's you have to get your priorities right. Profit should not trump your purpose and your meaning in life, 100%. right? If you're chasing money, it will be so dead end uh, and meaningless. But if you choose to figure out how to profit off your passion, how to profit off the, the, the unique skill set and your unique abilities to serve humanity at the highest level, yes, you'll make a lot of money, but you'll be doing it in a way that feels effortless and feels like something you'd be willing to do for free. And that's the magic is that if you can find something that you would be willing to do for free and then figure out how to profit off of it, you've found this incredible space where you get to make unbelievable amounts of money and you're like in disbelief the entire time. Like when I think about my job, like we're hopping on a plane tonight and we're flying across Miami and uh, from from Bali, 26 hours of flying. And I'm speaking at a mastermind. I'm going to a mentor's event and then I'm running my own event with 32 people in LA in a uh, eight bedroom mansion uh, in Bel Air. Bro, I can't believe I get to live this life. Like I, I'd be doing this for free. I'd be paying to do this, right? And this is all stuff that like, you know, it feels like five minutes ago in my life I was like uh, aspiring for. But when you truly believe that life is not just about how much you can accumulate and how much you can get and what you can get out of it, but what you can contribute, it unlocks this whole new level of freedom that does include money but becomes much bigger than it. And I think like that's the real secret and going back to your question before, that's the thing I want to pass on to my kids. It's like, don't be poor and try to help people. Like if you have the ability to accumulate wealth, you should do it. But don't do it at the expense of living out what you're supposed to do. 100% man it's been crazy five years for you and the next five years is going to be awesome to watch man appreciate it say a massive thank you thank man. you so much I appreciate it brother thanks for listening to another episode of Scale School I hope you found something valuable in today's episode if you haven't already subscribed go ahead and do that so you can be notified every time we drop future episodes and if you and I have not already connected feel free to track me down on any one of the social media platforms my big head and smiling face are no doubt going to be there and you can just search my name, Dan Bolton, and we can connect there. But thank you again for tuning in, and I'll see you in a future episode.